Every person has a superpower. Finding the superpower that lies within people with autism or other cognitive special needs so they can become awesome members of the workforce is the superpower of Bill Morris, CEO of Blue Star Recyclers, who has created an incredible organization that is generating eye-popping results in the world of electronics recycling and workforce development. You'll hear all about it on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I'm excited to have a conversation with Bill Morris, leader of Blue Star Recyclers. Bill co-founded Blue Star Recyclers in 2009 after discovering people with autism and other special needs possess innate talent for tasks involved in the recycling and refurbishing of electronics. He is a tireless advocate for the workforce of people who work at Blue Star Recyclers, and it is an awesome how the organization provides the dignity of work to so many special people while also performing a great service to the Colorado environment. Bill was named the 2011 Colorado Recycler of the Year, Colorado Springs Small Business Person of the Year, ARC Employer of the Year, and was a finalist for the 2012 Colorado CEO of the Year and White House Champion of Change Program. Awesome. Blue Star Recyclers has received the 2014 Samaritan Award from the Colorado Ethics in Business Alliance, was named Colorado's 2016 Social Venture of the Year, and Colorado Springs 2017 Social Impact Business of the Year. Bill enjoys traveling and has a personal goal, which I share, of playing a round of golf without cursing or throwing his driver. If you give, if you can pull that off, let me know how you did it. Bill, welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks, Jay. I don't think I've done it yet, but I'm still. Uh, that makes two of us. Uh, but I'd really like to kind of start at the beginning and have you tell people who don't know anything about Blue Star Recycling, how would you describe it? Well, we're sort of an accidental discovery. I mean, we uh, I, I didn't kind of intellectually uh, think this out in advance. It was uh, it was um, I sometimes refer to myself as the blind squirrel that found the nut. <laughs> 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 I, uh, I, I happened to, in 2008, I happened to meet uh, four young men on the autism spectrum who were in a day program. If you have a son or daughter with a disability, you know what Mm -hmm. that would be, but it's a services that you can access. And, um, and they were in there um, taking some things apart just uh, under the auspices of volunteer work experiences. They weren't being paid or trained really, but I just happened to notice that there was a strong affinity for tasks that were repetitive, systematic, procedural, Mm -hmm tactile, that kind of thing. And I noticed that the four of them had never had a, a job interview, let it loan a job. And, and yet I felt they had marketable skills. So um, it, it, it was just one of those hunches. And I, I felt that if we provided an opportunity to train them correctly and, and, um, and, and let them have an opportunity to work that they would uh, be able to apply those skills. And they did. We, we created a, a, what we call an enclave for a year between 08 and 09, where they, um, these four young men went to work for minimum wage. And then um, in 09, we, we started Blue Star Recyclers and fast forward, let's see, 14 years now, I guess uh, we have, uh, over 50 employees with wow 
disabilities or barriers to employment in three locations. Wow, that's awesome. So was there kind of an aha moment where you realized this really could become a business? Yeah, I, I think that the the best discovery we've made was that the original hunch was I wanted to prove was that the workforce was as good as traditional workers and um, what we would call neurotypical workers. And uh, I'm proud to say that in the the 14 years since we've done this, our workforce has outperformed the traditional workforce in our industry about two to one when it comes to productivity, reliability, safety. So what what we stumbled on is uh, is I, I think is a workforce that all employers should be chasing to try to catch because they, they uh, they're a phenomenal workforce. But what happens is, as you can uh, easily understand, is is that, that people tend to focus on their deficits and not right. their, their assets. And right. That, and that's really all. If you distill everything down that we do, it's really I don't have any interest in the deficit or the diagnosis because we're not a we're not state funded or federal funded mm-hmm. we're just an employer so i want to know what's right with that guy or that gal i want to know what interests them what what innate skills they have and then and then develop those to and line them up with a task and uh you know when you focus on on what's right with someone you usually find it <laughs> so it's kind of that way well that's that's so great because i love the video on your website where it talks about you know some of the folks that work for you you know people not that they had been written off but it's like i didn't think my son would ever have a job right and so that's one thing i really love about the organization is just like you say you're focusing on what they can do mm-hmm. And, and not what they're limited by. That's so right. providing that dignity of work has to be one of the most fulfilling pieces of what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, I think that my fa- my favorite part of the job is I'll, I'll uh, meet a, a, a person coming in for uh, their first interview or, or their first day of work. And by the way, the only uh, adjustment or accommodation that we have that we've ever had is we we decided early on not to do an over the desk interview. It's not a strength for most of our right. Folks. Uh, usually they don't have much in the way of a resume anyway. So we go right out to the work floor. It's an interview that lasts sometimes a week to a week and a half, uh, wow. a couple hours, uh, maybe an hour and a half uh, twice in, in coming over to our place a couple times. And what happens is they do all the things that we do at Blue Star. So they get a chance to take apart computers, sort material um, and work with the public or go out on the truck. And when we finish that, we just ask them, you know, what is it that you like the most? What is it that really got you interested? And we can usually tell as that interview is going on, where where we hit the thing that they're good at it's like it's uh, like surely you know find the one thing and, right. and they they always find it and and so i get to i get to watch them in that first stage where they they really don't know what they're good at and then i come back three months later and and uh and i have i'm looking at a completely different human being uh, wow it's uh, uh, the comfort is is there. There's some self confidence and self esteem from doing something, and um, so I I think that that 
change that takes place in human beings when we find the thing we're supposed to do and, and come to work and do it is a big deal. Yeah. And again, providing that, that, that dignity. So how did you go from, you know, four guys talk about that, that kind of that path, you start with four guys that are good at taking stuff apart. And now you've got this big operation that you recycle, you've got a fleet of trucks and you've got, you know, you're working with Mitsubishi and you're, you're doing computers and all these services that you guys do. How did that, how did that evolve? There's a lot of serendipity in our story. And uh, I love sharing about it because it's, this is really proof that um, we are proof that you can't, sometimes you just can't intellectually know in advance what's going to happen so we just took action and we decided to do this i had no background i had no background in the recycling industry i'd been in the telecom wow. industry for about 28 years which industry no, i'm sorry in the telecom industry oh, okay so i was with motorola and us west and next sure. and um, so i had no background in this i i had never employed anyone with any kind of uh, special needs or disability. I, I did grow up with a brother with a developmental disability, which gave me an understanding of, of what mm-hmm. we were doing. But what happened was when when that initial enclave worked out and we noticed how all four of these young men had just blossomed uh, and were and were ready for the work workplace. Uh, it, by that time, I had been out of work. I was laid off in 08, which was not a good, early 08, which was not a good time to be out of work. And yeah. um, and I didn't have any funds left to, to really take this to the next level. And here's the serendipity. A friend of mine called and said, you know, there's a truck sitting in front of a manufacturing business in Colorado Springs. And on the side of the truck, it says Blue Star Electronics. And he asked, do you know anything about that? And I said, I've never heard of them. So I went over to talk to the business where the truck was parked and and got an appointment to see their CEO the next day. I walked in and I I asked about the truck and he said, well, why are you interested? And I shared what I just had shared with you. Right. And uh, he, he said, well, he said, the funny thing about that truck is he says that it belonged to a business that we rented space to in Colorado Springs. They left town in the middle of the night owing us <laughs> nine months rent. He says, I got the truck. I got a forklift. I got a warehouse full of electronics and I'm not sure what to do with it in my eyes. Oh, geez. My eyes got about this big. And I yeah. said, well, I know what to do with it. I, I said, and uh, he asked me to come back the next day to talk with his wife. This is Tony and Mary Fanant. They own Qualtech Manufacturing and at that time. And and um, and I went back and next day talked to his wife and they went off, came back and said, we're going to help you get this thing started. We're going to give you the truck, the warehouse, the electronics. The, and and, uh, and they made a really large financial investment in this as well. Um, and I I had known them for less than 24 hours. And, wow. And, uh, and they don't even have a son or daughter with a disability. They just said something that I thought was very remarkable. They said, we believe that anyone that that wants to go to work should have a place to go to work. Ah, that's awesome. So we, we started Blue Star in November of 09 and, and I went out and took the word electronics off the truck and put recyclers on there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. so we recycled the name and, uh, and we were off and running and, and 
really what's happened since then to answer your question the long way around of how we've grown is um, we sort of grow organically. We, we um, were in the Springs here and from 09 to 2014. Then we added uh, the Denver location in 2014. And then we added um, Boulder in 2016. We had a couple of other locations that we had to end up closing down as a result of the pandemic. We just, they were, they were launched almost right as the pandemic hit. But, uh, but it really has just been kind of, I think what we've discovered is there's a need for what we do. There's a, um, it's a workforce that just needs an opportunity. No, no philanthropy or, or anything, just an opportunity. And they do very well. Yeah. So talk about the, the, the kind of services that you guys do. And again, why are, is your workforce so well positioned to, to do everything that you guys do? Yeah. Well, we're, we're what's called an end of life recycler. Uh, so, uh, and we're a certified end of life recycler. So we have a third party audited standard called Easter. It's very difficult to get. Um, it's a environmental health safety and data security standard, but we felt that if we were going to do this, we wanted to, to be beyond reproach because there's a lot of, there's no federal oversight of our industry. So there's a lot of erstwhile recyclers that aren't doing what they say they do. Um, but we offer electronics recycling, data destruction, and and, um, and we do uh, fluorescent bulb and battery recycling and a lot of other things like that. And the, and the workforce, I think where the magic happens, Jay, is that um, we employ workers that actually enjoy doing something throughout the whole day that over and over and over again, that's, that has steps, that's repetitive and systematic, uh, that's black and white, uh, that's highly detailed. Because when you take apart things or sort our material, you have to be uh-huh. very exacting. And um, neurotypical traditional workers are not particularly good at that uh, in entry level positions. And these folks are, and and uh, and I think if you look at our reliability, productivity, safety, all that, I think what you're looking at is not a workforce necessarily that has a better work ethic. It's if you do something all day you're good at and you like doing it, then you would not consider missing work or goofing off. Right. Right. You want to be on the job, and right. Um, and these skills, by the way, could. Uh, are transferable to, we've proven this already, to uh, light manufacturing, to uh, distribution, pick and pack, food prep, you name it. So employers that ask me about where they should look at, uh, you know, opening up positions for this workforce, I usually just say it's it's usually the positions where you have the highest turnover because Mm. traditional workers don't like repetitive work. And uh, so this is this is really the the superpower of the workforce. Uh, uh, they're they're literally hardwired to do work that is very important. That very that most people uh, don't do. Don't want to do. Yeah. And where are you? Where do you have success at recruiting? And and how do how do people find you that that would be a good fit for the organization? Yeah, it's a great question. We. We've probably had referrals from every source I can think of, but I, I, I found that 
what happens, and this is very, very important, is, is that a, a young man or woman who's in special ed in high school will uh, usually roll into their transition program after they graduate mm-hmm. at 18. And yep. the school districts will hang on to them for three to four years with the, with the hope of helping them become employable. Right. In most cases, the districts don't succeed. They they mm. get some they get some unpaid internships and uh, volunteer work for their people, but usually not jobs. And then that student finally ages out, goes home, and that's they go back into the bedroom where they were raised and play yeah. video games, or they go into day programs. And um, so, what we found was that there is. Uh, there's this cliff that they fall off of at the age up. So what we decided to do in 2014 was to take a whack at, at uh, see if we could keep that from happening, which, so we, we built a blue star recyclers, that kind of a miniature version of ourselves at Cherry Creek school district in Hmm. Denver, in Aurora. And um, all the special ed students, came through that program to learn how to acquire and demonstrate the skills needed to come to work at Blue Star. And then that way, if there was any that were that were ready to work, that were interested, we would hire them. And we've hired, I think, about a dozen so far out of that program. And we've replicated that program in about six wow. districts. Wow. Um, yeah. So what happens is, is, is that we, we want to make sure we get eyes on every student that can work and that wants to work and make sure that they get working before they go home. Because if once they go home, we lose them. Wow. It's, sad. It's, yeah, it's very sad. And there's all that talent that's wasted. That, yeah. Um, so we, we're, uh, we have a program right now, a partnership with Texas A&M. In Texas, we're actually bringing this to school districts in Texas. Oh, exciting! Yeah, and it's uh, and it, and it's going beyond recycling. We're going to ultimately just basically have a school district and an employer become partners and use have the school district develop their special ed kids to, to be work ready for that employer, and that's the hope. Wow, exciting! Well, I'm I'm assuming that this will also lead to a lot of growth because you're not going to be suffering much turnover. I would assume that once somebody gets in and and starts working and really loves it, that they are going to want to stay and it's going to become their career. Yeah. I, I think uh, someone a few years ago made a great um, observation about the workforce and, and calling it loyal labor, which is uh, this is a hard thing for employers to find nowadays. Most yeah. Most employers that come through Blue Star on tours make this this comment. They go, no one's on their phone looking for other jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask anybody that owns a restaurant. And then they're yeah, all the employees right. are doing that. And uh, they're not interested in moving around a lot. And they're not interested in change as a rule. So, right. so um, it's a workforce that's very loyal and, and um we have uh, we've averaged less than 10% annual turnover wow. in, in an industry that is i don't i think our industry is somewhere around 500 to 700% turnover it's it's terrible and and so yeah. the, really the reason we're still alive doing what we're doing in an industry we had no experience in is that we have a workforce that shows up every day and gets every all the work done. And, absolutely 
And, and so they're really the reason I'm sitting here is, is that it's it's their success that um, if I had traditional labor under the circumstances that we started Blue Star, I we wouldn't have made it. Yeah, for sure. So tell me um, a little bit about the business model, because like you say, you're not it's not true philanthropy. This is a real business. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It, we call it a social enterprise, so it's mm-hmm. for it's for purpose instead of for profit. But we run it like a business, and we're accountable to to uh, cover our costs. Yeah, and the mission is is recycling electronics uh, to create jobs. So um, we it, we got to where we were. Um, in the black in by 2019, we were always very close, but um, but then the, the pandemic hit and set us back a little bit. But but our yeah. goal is is um, is to be self sustaining. Um, even though, and we are actually technically a five hundred one c three nonprofit, right? But uh, because we felt that we needed to have access to philanthropy in the beginning yeah. to get started, mm-hmm. um, but I'm very happy to say that we don't need it today. If I lost all my philanthropy today, Blue Star would still be here. Wow! But, salute. Yeah. That, that's, that's a real that tipping point. Very important to us not to have dependence on outside funding. Yeah. Well, not only are you doing great stuff with your workforce, but really this stuff that you're recycling, if you weren't doing that, it would pose a real threat to the environment because you're talking heavy metals kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So t- talk about the environmental impact just a little bit. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh waste stream because uh, it got away from us, and uh, it's the fastest growing waste stream in the world. Wow! By weight and by volume, uh, and what happened was around around the early two thousands, there was a, a perfect storm of there was a lot of electronics being manufactured, and right about that time, the manufacturers decided to build in obsolescence, so where it couldn't be repaired. <laughs> It couldn't be reused. Upgraded, but, right? Yeah, and it was a it was a conscious decision, and I understand sure. it from their from their perspective. But all of a sudden, by two thousand five, we ended up with a. Uh, this wall of, of old unwanted electronics coming into solid waste programs that couldn't handle it. Mm. Um, there's two problems with e-waste. Um, the, actually, the smaller problem, is, environmentally at least, it, it, the smaller problem is the contamination by putting it in landfills and other places. It does have heavy metals, as you as you mentioned. Um, and if old CRT uh, right. lead in them and things like that. But the real environmental problem is, is that the ma- manufacturers need base materials. They need the aluminum, copper, mm-hmm. um, uh, ferrous and non other ferrous, non-ferrous metals. They need plastics. They need all those base materials to make new stuff. If they right. cannot access recycled materials, they will dig holes in the ground mm. And it's in digging the holes in the ground that causes the greatest environmental damage. So, wow. so it, think about this. If we can return to the manufacturers all the guts that go into everything, we'll take it apart They'll sh- and we'll, our processor will shred it and then send it to the manufacturer as base material that can be melted down and made into something else. If we don't get that material back, then... Um, then that's where the the damage starts. And yeah. uh, 
Uh, so every pound that we recycle reduces greenhouse gas emissions by 1.4 pounds. Wow. So it's really critical that we get this stuff back to the manufacturing sector. If we have it in our homes and storage units, or if we landfill it, uh, we're leaving them with no choice but to mine new virgin materials. Right. Well, and I would assume, you know, like you say with the obsolescence, when a telecom company, I, for example, decides, oh, we need to outfit our 700 workers now with new computers. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to those old ones? Yeah, it's computers are, are, are the easiest thing for us to work with because they either can be refurbished and resold or and everything that goes into a computer is, is, uh, has some positive commodity value or component value. So computers are, are actually sort of the lifeblood for revenue. The problem is it's vacuum cleaners, hair dryers. Mm electric toothbrushes and flashlights and irons and coffee makers. It's, it's all the things that, that and old inkjet printers that are mostly plastic that are really the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have any positive commodity value. They actually have a cost to recycle. Mm-hmm. The ethical recyclers who have a certification like us, we have to recycle 100% of everything. Wow. The, un- the unethical recyclers take the good stuff like the computers and right. and maximize the, vo- the value of it, but then they throw away the stuff that doesn't have cost. Mm. Perpetuating so the problem. Yes, yes. So what they really are is a scavenger, not a recycler. Yeah. Since there's no oversight at the state or federal level, mm they can put a sign up on their business saying we recycle electronics and they really don't. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, so the third party certification is really just a way of saying we can prove that we, that every ounce of material that goes through blue star ends up where it's supposed to. Wow. That's awesome. Well, starting an enterprise like this is definitely the road less traveled. So where do you think the motivation to do something like this and to help this population comes from for you. You know, I, I, it's funny thing. I was on a panel one time and a woman asked me the question. She said, what was your greatest asset when you started blue star? And I thought for a minute, I said, I think ignorance (laughs) Because, (laughs) because if I had known anything about either one, I, I probably wouldn't have done it based on what I know now, or I would have screwed it up because I would have used the old approach on both on both accounts, which is using the old employment approach with people with disabilities. Uh, but I, I think in my case, um, I didn't I didn't set out to do this. I met these four young men. They were weren't looking for me. I wasn't lurk, looking for them. We just we we found each other. And when I when I discovered how much talent was going to waste, I, I came home one night and started typing on my computer. And my wife says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to start a business. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to start a business to employ these guys. And we're going to recycle electronics. She said, do you know anything about that? I said, not nothing. <laughs> she said, and I went up to Denver and actually found a recycler that did know something. And he, he taught me some things and helped us get started. But... I, the way I answered your question is, is that I couldn't not do it. 
Um, when, I think when we run across something like that, it, it's just we're compelled to do it. And it didn't make any sense and it shouldn't have worked. But uh, it all came together somehow. I think that's the story of every great nonprofit success. Um, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, okay. expanding on that a little bit, what are some lessons learned over the past 14 years that have really helped you propel the organization forward? Yeah, I, I, I think first the first thing I realized is, is that um, I made assumptions that going in that that turned out to be incorrect. One was I just thought I could walk into any business or any place and say, we're going to recycle your electronics and and uh, and everyone's going to go goody and we'll send them to you. Well, in Colorado Springs, is as you may know, it's not the hotbed of environmental activism. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I. I, I, I was calling on businesses and they were like, you know what? We just send this stuff to the landfill. We don't care. Oh, geez. And, I went, and I went, what? So I went back and then I thought, so the, the environmental pitch didn't work. So then I thought, well, surely the social impact will work because Colorado Springs has a, has a bent for, for social causes. And, 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 um, and it's a, a pretty um, evangelical community and stuff. So I, I took our social impact out in terms of employing people with disabilities and I couldn't get any, anyone, they patted me on the head a lot and said, <laughs> oh, that's really nice, Bill, but no one would do business with us. And uh, I was having lunch with a newspaper guy uh, not long after that. And he says, he says, you're, I asked him about this and he said, you're not speaking the language of that community. He says, Colorado Springs is libertarian. It's conservative. You need to talk about economics. And, and I went back and I researched what happens when a person with a disability goes to work and there's some pretty significant taxpayer savings and uh, other economic benefits. And we took that to Colorado Springs and said, would you recycle if we could reduce the size of government? Ah, <laughs> so, genius. And it was being there. Those words. Yeah. And I had, I've had guys come in and say, you know, honestly, I don't care anything about the environment or what you're doing here, but I, I just, I want to get these guys off the dole. I'm not kidding. You. I've heard, I've, I've That's heard great. Say, but here's here's what's really interesting. If if you're a social entrepreneur looking to start or grow your business, this might be of help. When we went to Denver, we found a different uh, language spoken up there. Um, if you lined up ten of our customers, about eight out of ten would say they recycle with us because of the social impact, mm -hmm. um, the economic or the environmental impacts right behind that, and the economics are not very important. When we went to Boulder, as you can imagine, mm -hmm. people in Boulder recycle on a in a snowstorm on election day. They. <laughs> <laughs> they'll do anything they have to to recycle so in boulder the environmental argument is what won the day and they didn't even care about the social really they didn't need the social or the economic piece to get interested so what we found was three communities three different languages and so we had to sort of have a three-sided brochure that we just turned yeah. and say, which one are you interested in right yeah and that is a great lesson. You have to be nimble and, and know yes. your audience. One of the one of the big 
challenges for those of us in the environmental space. And I, as a kid, I was involved in Greenpeace. And, and I look back with just horror thinking about how, <laughs> how I behave because I would knock on people's door and scream at them about <laughs> how they needed to support our mission. And they would slam the door in my face and I couldn't figure it out. Well, I wasn't speaking their language and I was trying to I was just trying to pontificate about what I knew. So I think those of us in the environmental sector, we have to remember there has to be a, a an economic and a social benefit to what we do because most people are not moved by the environmental impact. It's yeah. maybe 20%. So Well, that I think that's great advice that goes to any business is you really need to speak the language of your customer. That's yes. a, yes. such a strong lesson. So what what really gets you excited about the future for Blue Star? Well, I we're in kind of an interesting time in that we uh, I, I made a commitment that when we started this, that it, that if we uh, reached a point where we could um, serve as a role model and get other employers to employ this workforce, that, that our goal was to become unnecessary because I as a nonprofit, I wanted to if, if we were not necessary anymore, just fade off the scene. Right. And um, I think we've reached the point where we've got um, I, I didn't mention we, we launched a program two years ago where we train other employers on how to employ this workforce. We have about 12 now that around the country. Wow. That do it. And there's going to be another 10 in 20 and 2023 go through it. But so what we're what we're planning to do is probably shift away from um, trying to employ people, everyone ourselves, and actually help two things, help other employers access the workforce and then um, train people to go to work for other employers using awesome. the model. So so really, Blue Star is not so much. Uh, because to grow the number of jobs we have is very slow. It's yeah. three, four, five a year. Um, the training we've done with other employers has already resulted in about 60 jobs around the country. Wow. So so I think what you'll see from us this year, by the end of this year, is is a kind of pivot to, to um, really looking at helping all other employers uh, um, receive the benefits we have from working with this workforce and uh, workforce development is such a huge yeah. thing and all across name and industry, right? Oh my gosh. And, and the tailwind that we have is that the labor market is a mess and um, yeah. most employers cannot um, attract and retain entry level right. labor. Uh, and this is a workforce that's just waiting in the wings, Jay. They, you know, all they need is that first opportunity. And if we can get employers trained properly and and get them candidates who want to work and that can work, then I think we can move the dial. That's awesome. Well, as as a wind down, got a couple last ones for you and I'll shift gears a little bit. And I always like to ask, what is something that you will read, listen to, or watch today? Read, listen to, or watch. Um, probably I, <laughs> started, I, the only thing I know for sure is I bought a book that's about this thick about Stalin and I, I'm uh. about, I'm about a half an inch into it after six months. And it's, it's a hard read. I'll probably be reading on that book today. Uh, it, it, it's a biography, uh, but that for sure, I know. And has there been somebody you'd point to as a role model 
in the work you've done with Blue Star? Yeah, gosh, there's been there's just been dozens of, of role models uh, on the local front. Um, uh, David, um, gosh, I'm going to just forget it's the, the founder of Bayod uh, Enterprises. Um, and I I'm just I'm losing his last name, but he helped me uh, when we first started. I didn't know anything about being a social enterprise and they were sort of and they still are really the 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 model role model social enterprise in Colorado. They they help the homeless and um and they they just have a, a a wonderful mission and they've been around for gosh i think 30 years now wow um i'm just i want to i want to i want to get his name right david henniger and uh david is is one of those guys that cares enough to to sort of take time with guys like me that were when you know 12, 13 years ago, I showed up on his doorstep and said, how do you do this? Uh. <laughs> and he shared. Um, and then in Chicago, there's another guy, uh, um, Randy Lewis, who was the senior vice president of Walgreens. Randy got Walgreens to commit to employing 50% of their oh, wow. in two distribution centers. Uh, who have disabilities and those two distribution centers to this day are their most profitable and efficient. Wow. <laughs> so uh, it was Randy's book really came out about, I think 2010 and, um, and it got me going and then I got a chance to meet him and, and he's become a good friend. And, uh, but those two guys really, you know, were kind of the grandfathers of, of the, of the movement. And, uh, I'm just, uh, the next generation. Sounds like somebody you need to have on the podcast. Yeah. But other, other than blue star, um, is there an organization out there that you've crossed paths with or, and, and really admire the work they're doing? Gosh, there's a lot of really good ones. Uh, I was just down visiting one of them, um, Rising Tide Car Wash in Florida. Uh, we were often referred to as uh, Rising Tide and Blue Star, kind of being th this generation's role model for the, of, of employing people with autism. Uh, but Rising Tide, uh, the Dieri family down there, they they started a car wash and they for their son and uh, one of their sons has autism. The other son run, ran the business. Tom Dieri, he just came out with a book. We should get him on your show. And, yeah. and they have 80 employees now at three car wash locations. And they, what I love, here's the thing I love about them is they have people with autism detail. That's a really tough industry. Uh, the industry was moving away from hand detail because of labor problems. Right. And Tom has proven that this workforce can save if you're if you own a car wash, this is the because they enjoy the detail work and every car that comes through. And what I love about their experience is that you don't know that you're that you're supporting a, an organization. It's a business um, until you leave there in the back of your receipt. It says your car was detailed by a person with autism. Uh. 
And I love that. It's, it's, That's it's, great. It's the after the fact. And so he has all this loyalty in a, in a very difficult business. Um, but I would say that uh, that Rising Tide would be the other one that that um, I think together we've sort of just discovered the the superpower of the of the workforce. I love that superpower. Well, my last one, if anybody wants to learn more about Blue Star, support you. Um, Talk about employing these these folks with these superpowers. How do they find you? Yeah, it's really easy. Uh, BlueStarRecyclers.com is our website. Uh, if you want to email me, it's Bill at BlueStarRecyclers.com. Uh, uh, we are a 501c3, so if you'd like to support us, you can go online on our website and donate, or you can go to coloradogives.com, and um, I think it's or my, it's .org. I'm sorry, Colorado Gives. Yeah. and we're on there also. So, uh, uh, so and honestly, I always tell people this, we're, we're a wacky nonprofit. I would rather have your old electronics than your money. I'd like to have your money too, but your electronics will help us create jobs. So if you've got anything laying around the house or in your business, if you could bring those to us to recycle that, that's the lifeblood of how we do what we do. It's been years, so I need to come visit again, but uh, I highly recommend anybody do it. Bill, keep up the great work and thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Jay. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening, and I hope Bill inspired you as much as he did me. This podcast has been brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about Blue Star Recyclers and their locations where you can drop off your old electronics, visit their website at bluestarrecyclers.org. Check the show notes for links, and if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd leave a review and share it with a friend. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better. Thank you.